0: This is Dr. Cheryl Selman, and welcome to The Love Code. This is a show that's all about bringing to you the immense possibilities that we all have within us. It's such an amazing journey we are on in this lifetime, and it's here to open us to the infinite potentials and possibilities that exist, open us to a greater connection to who we are and to the love that we are, And the possibility to transform, transform ourselves, transform any situation, to be inspired at all times. And I know we have that power. So, as always, it's great that you are joining me today. If you'd like to get the archived shows, not only from the Love Code, but the other program that I do on Progressive Radio Network, which is called What Women Must Know, then you can either opt into my website, which is com and everything will be sent out to you. You get all the shows, you won't miss any of them. Or you can go to my Facebook page, which is What Women Must Know, and like me over there. And I post all those shows and a whole lot more on that Facebook page. So I hope you'll be joining me and become a part of this community and continue the conversation as we are journeying to a greater understanding of the true essence and power that we have. And more than ever, this is a time when we want to really be able to tap into the great resilience, the great creativity, the great possibilities that exist within us to navigate through uncharted seas and through unknown times. And this is the journey as we bring our light to these experiences that we're all going through right now. So it's so appropriate that I have as my guest today because we're going to be talking about um, the, the power of our immune system and the mind-body connection, how we have potentials and possibilities and, and the power within us to cure and heal ourselves Um, no matter what we're faced with. And my guest today and the author of this fantastic book, Cured, The Power of Our Immune System and the Mind-Body Connection, is Dr. Jeffrey Rediger. And just a little bit about Dr. Jeff. He is a physician, best-selling author, and popular speaker. He is an assistant professor at Harvard Medical School and the medical director of McLean Southeast Adult Psychiatry and Community Affairs at McLean Hospital, a licensed physician and board-certified psychiatrist. He also has a Master of Divinity degree from Princeton Theological Seminary. His research with remarkable individuals who have recovered from incurable illnesses has been featured on the Oprah Winfrey and Dr. Oz shows, among others. He has been nominated for the National Gravewell Leadership Award and has received numerous awards related to leadership and patient care. His best-selling book, Cured, Strengthen Your Immune System and Heal Your Life, was available at Amazon, local bookstores, and is translated into multiple languages. So we have a great conversation in store, and I'm just so thrilled to welcome Dr. Jeffrey Rediger to the show today. So, Jeff, hello and welcome.
1: Thank you. It's nice to be here. Nice to meet you.
0: Well, it's a pleasure to have you on the show and to meet you and, um, I've been looking forward to our conversation because you're such an interesting man <laughs> and you've gone through incredible journeys in life. So uh, I always like to start before we jump into the, um, you know, the, the real message of your book. I, I I'd love for you to share a little bit about your own personal journey that has guided you to get to this place where, you know, as a psychiatrist and, um, you know, as a medical doctor, you know, how did you get to this place where your focus has been on overcoming incredible odds and writing this book, Cured? So let's start there.
1: Sure. Well, it's been a long journey, both personally and professionally, and one that's really been, for me, a search for truth. I was born in a uh, family that was very conservative and rural, Uh, grew up on a farm. My dad grew up in an Amish tradition. Uh, His father was a blacksmith in the Amish, and then uh, at some point my dad left, but it's hard to know exactly when. I was two years old when we moved from our farm in that area um, out of the Amish community formally. And so uh, we moved away when I was two, and I went to public school as a child, but I was living in a very different culture at home. So my parents left outwardly, but not so much inwardly. So I grew up without much access to TV, radio, uh, even store-bought clothes at, uh, much of the time. And and it was just a really conservative world. Uh, the Bible was thought to be sufficient for all knowledge. That placed me in a lot of conflict and terms of how to integrate or think about my my education in public school and and so very early on i began trying to think about what's true in different cultures how do you value that how do you make sense of the different and competing truth claims and i was a bit of a tough kid to raise because i i think i had a lot of questions and uh and it was too strict for me and so i was um, I was a pretty rebellious kid, and so I then rebelled and left for college of my choosing and and uh, spent a number of decades really separate from my family but that began another level of my quest to reconcile cultures and the different truth claims within them and a number of things happened along the way uh, some really important deaths happened that Forced me in a more existential way to begin thinking personally about what's my faith as opposed to the faith I've been raised in, what's something that really feeds or heals uh, myself and all of us at a deeper level. And I ended up then at Princeton Seminary with a wonderful mentor. um, And I was going to spend a year there and then pursue a doctorate in religion and psychology, but I had such a wonderful experience there in seminary with this opportunity to ask questions. And even though I had no plans to become a minister or a priest, this was a great place to really push questions hard. And and with these wonderful mentoring I had, it was a, a just a a gift of an opportunity. So that's what I did. I stayed and got the three year Master of Divinity. And in the process of that, and as I worked so hard in theology and philosophy of science to understand how these different disciplines stand next, next to each other and what's their actual relationship, whether it's mind or body or spirit and that sort of thing, I began to realize that science is a great gift to the world, and it wasn't the tool of the devil that I'd been raised with uh, around evolution and, and all these things. When a, In a really conservative world, you're taught that six-day creation of the world is the way things are, and, and I began to really see a place for science. That then uh, I went back to Indiana uh, where I'd been raised once uh, on a weekend, uh, a break from seminary. And my best friend from, um, from high school, his mother said, well, what are you going to do with all, all that education? I said, well, I'm going to be a college professor and being a good spokesperson for the rural world. I came from, she said, you're going to get all that education and not do something to help people. And so, so it was, it brought me up against, um, the world I'd been raised in, but also was a, uh, a part of me that also knew it was important to be able to do something practical in the world. And so as I continued to try to reconcile these different worlds I was in, certainly Princeton Seminary was a very different world than the rural world I grew up in, when I finally said, well, okay, maybe I'll go to med school. Med school turned out to be a perfect way to bridge these two worlds because med school was something that the – people from my past understood. Uh, A rural world understands someone becoming a doctor. That makes more sense. But it yet also gave me the chance to pursue the ideas and to pursue truth yet um, in, in the way that I understood it. So that's what I did. Med school was a perfect solution for me. And then I went into residency in psychiatry. At Harvard, and then remained on afterwards, and became a medical director at McLean, and uh, and on the faculty at Harvard Medical School, and all of that has been such a perfect opportunity for me to uh, pursue these questions. Shortly after I graduated from residency, a nurse, an oncology nurse from Mass General in Boston, came to me and asked for help, explaining to her son that she had been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Pancreatic cancer is an awful cancer. It has a short course after diagnosis. Uh, a person, uh, especially with pancreatic adenocarcinoma, a person is diagnosed and usually dies very quickly, and it's it's universally fatal uh, by and large. And and so I I helped her discuss this and explain this to her son, and then she took off for a healing center in brazil and began writing me telling me that she was seeing some amazing recoveries at this healing center and she hoped i would look into it and i declined i I doubted that anything real was going on there and so she began to have people call and write from around the country saying they had medical records and did i want to hear their stories and (laughs) i owe a lot to nicola because In her persistence, she finally and eventually won me over. I began to read these files, and most of them made sense. Most of them, they could be uh, understood from within the paradigm I'd been trained in as a physician, whether the person had had chemotherapy or a particular type of surgery or whatever. But some of the files that were sent to me, I couldn't explain from within the constructs of the world I've been trained in, and the long and short of it is in 2003, I began investigating these stories more deeply, and this journey has changed me at every level personally and professionally and turned upside down every assumption I had from medical school and even from seminary and a residency in psychiatry. It's forced me to think so differently about everything in terms of what it means to be human and the kinds of possibilities that lie latent within us that we typically have no idea about.
0: You know, that you know, your story is so interesting because you um you know, you from your from your early days of living that simple life and trusting in God, I would imagine, you know, when you lived so mm-hmm. close to the land um, and then That's you true. go on to divinity school where you're immersed in this power that we have to heal, transform, that we're so much greater than what we see. And then you go into science, which kind of, I would think, contracts all that, you know, because then you're into just science and, you know, manipulating <laughs> things yes. in yes. the scientific world, right? I mean, when did you take that spiritual dimension of your being and... Bring it back into the healing arts that you spent so many years as, you know, a doctor yes. and preparing to be a doctor. It seems like there's such, you know, opposites to merge.
1: Yeah, that's a great question because I the the really fabulous thing is that my mentor in seminary was this theologian who had gone deeper into theology and psychology and philosophy of science than anybody I had ever met in my life. And he'd, you know, been at the Jung Institute, he'd studied at Harvard and Princeton and under Piaget and all these great minds and all this great work he'd done. And and then at the time when I met him, he was writing with physicists about the deep structures of reality and how we know what's true and how and the relationship of the physical world to the mind and the possibilities of the mind and how Quantum physics, which has been around now for 80 years, has proven that the physical world does not exist in the way that we think it does. And that's a massive contrast to the Cartesian and Newtonian world that depends on the evidence of the five senses. And so I was was introduced to three years of this intoxicating level of ideas that that just simply turned upside down, everything that I had thought I believed or knew. And I did know that going into medical school was going to be a sharp crash into a very different reality where Newtonian science dominated the discussions, no connection between mind and body by definition, uh, based upon a Newtonian view of the universe and the Cartesian view. And that was a brutal sort of reentry into another world but I also knew that at some point modern physics was going to have to transform modern medicine. And that is starting to occur now. And that's a really big topic. And we can talk about that if you want. But it was a very difficult kind of reentry into a different world uh, that felt a lot like religion, actually. Um, I, I had rebelled against the strictures of religion and I <laughs> tried hard not to rebel against the structures of a Cartesian-Newtonian science that reduced human problems of living to neurochemistry or to uh, taking your medication. And, and so that conflict is something I've lived with for a long time. Uh, but then this research that I've been doing for the last 18 years gave me a way to begin putting those worlds back together again in a way that felt truer to me, but it also meant completely transforming my understanding of what um, medicine needs to be about.
0: And I can see why you are such a pioneer in integrating the mind, body, and the spiritual. But I I have to say, it it just must have been devastating to your soul to be in medical school and having to submit to that paradigm for that period of time after being immersed in this world, this yes. you know, the spiritual world of, you know, possibilities of who we are and the immensity of right. who we are, and then kind of contracted into molecules and, you know, an equation. Yes.
1: yes, you're absolutely right. The first two years were brutal. Uh, it was like, it, I mean, it was completely a Newtonian, Cartesian worldview, and it was painful. And so I just... And I, I remember walking up to the to one of my professors, and I had all these questions, and he said, "Don't ask questions; just memorize the material." And and so that's that's what I did. But it was uh, a very different environment than seminary, to put it mildly.
0: It was like an initiation process. You had to kind of go down deep <laughs> into yes, that's right. another, right. I mean, you know, another kind of hell. But, um, yes. but but you know, as as you as you've evolved over these years, and to see that you know the the greater purpose of the journey you have been on, because now you have, you know, you're a medical doctor. You have uh, you know working with Harvard. You have such credibility and respect mm. out there, not only in your profession, but in the world. And then you've got that, you know, Masters of Divinity from Princeton, which is also an impressive credential, to be able then to take that and move to where it seems to me that your real soul's mission is is yes. to understand the immense, the immense power we have to heal and transform our lives.
1: Yeah, it's so true. And what we need to do is to help close this era of disease and medications and open the new era that's trying to be born and starting to be born where we actually study how people heal, where we study well being. And it's, it just, and I understand what this last era has been and is. These early scientists, when they took, when they took Science away from the church, when they took medicine away from the church and said you can no longer blame a person by saying that their illness is a judgment from God or that it's because of their sin or because of something wrong with them, that was a step forward, I believe. And we still have a ways to go to really get that right, especially when it comes to the psychological illnesses or the addictions where we still blame people. But it was a step forward at the time to say you can't blame a person or judge a person for having an illness. And it allowed the early scientists to create a classification for diseases. They created a taxonomy of, of diseases where they spent a lot of time distinguishing the signs and symptoms of one illness and the signs and symptoms of another illness and, and naming them and really creating this classification system of diseases. Now, that's what this era has been, but we really are at the point now where we need to begin asking a different set of questions because it was a shock to me and I was a very slow learner about this, but it, I began to finally realize after listening to story after story after story with medical evidence over a period of these 18 years that, oh, we don't even ask how people heal in medicine. We simply make diagnoses, start medications, and that's as far as it goes, almost always. And that's starting to change, but that doesn't happen. And so. To begin asking how people heal, to begin helping people heal, that's really different than just taking a medication. And so I I've begun to realize how medications treat symptoms, and they help you tread water, but they don't, in almost every case, they don't heal the underlying illness. And, and that's a really big topic, and I could explain more if necessary, but um, it's, it's a really different perspective that's needed at this point.
0: Oh, a very profound one. And I just have to share with you that, you know, I, I, I started my journey. I was, I had a really profound spiritual experience in my last year at university and it, it it just Hmm. changed the course of my life because I, um, having, having had that moment of epiphany, it was like, well, that's it. That's what I'm, that's what I'm searching for. And it was the, Thread that guided me through all the decisions I've made, even if I didn't realize it at the time. So it led me to um, spending many years in spiritual communities. I lived in India. I lived in spiritual communities, and in Scotland. Mm. I was on this on this journey. I didn't quite know what I wanted to do with my life, but I just was compelled to follow. What I was searching for, which I'm not quite sure what that was, because it sure. was an epiphany, and then it then it led me to you know being shattered from the reality that I knew, but I didn't really have an idea of what it was that I really wanted to do or what I was even searching for. So I went on the normal spiritual search of ashrams and things, but wow. um, it, it, it led me to um, um, in the world of um, well, to be honest, I through my so having to heal myself, it led me into the the um, journey of birth and the impact of birth on my perception of reality. How that birth experience actually shaped who I was and and the patterns and the and the you know the misperceptions and the the, the patterns of trauma that repeated themselves in my life. And I explored that which led me to wow. go on and become a psychotherapist and to work in the realm of mind-body medicine and understand how we have this power. And then it went on and led me to be a naturopathic doctor. <laughs> and then I went on really? and worked with shaman and the, you know <laughs> and, and plant medicines because it's been a journey, this fascinating exploration into the power of who we are and not being identified by our limitations and past the infinite power to heal. So I've seen amazing things too, which has inspired yeah. me throughout my entire life and always and continue to look for ways to share, to share that power with other people. So anyway, you have an that was an incredible so story. Well, it's, it's you know, it's a journey we all go through. And, um, I, you know, I'm blessed because that, that spontaneous awakening that happened to me in my last year at university i guess was such a blessing you know it was like it was like a, a an awakening that i had early in my life to make sure i was on the right path in this lifetime right so you don't wander off and get distracted it was so powerful that it um awakened me Early, early well, I'd in my love life. to
1: understand. Yeah, I'd love to understand more of your experience. It clearly was very powerful and defining for you.
0: So, so that's why what you have arrived at now in this integration with your, you know, your deeply immersed studies of newtonian Cartesian reality of how in medicine right. and biochemistry work with this. I think you know the. From what you're sharing, anyway, that real driving um, uh, essence in you is that divinity, and sharing that divinity. In this, and, and, and when we tap into the infinite potential we have within us, and there's nothing that's impossible. And even even getting to the place where we understand death, which you write about in your book. So let's let's get into your book because there's so much in there that has such a richness that I want people to really be inspired by what you have um what you have researched and what you're writing about and how it's impacted you and so many people who are reading your book. So, um so let's talk about what your book is really about. What is it that you really want to share with people? What was the driving force within you that brought this book into being?
1: For me, it was really an attempt to answer questions and the book is a reflection of questions that I've been asking for a very long time. And so it was, the book reflects my search for truth and, and certainly for the last many years interviewing these people with medical evidence for recovery from illnesses that we typically consider incurable. They were, they really drew me slowly into a very different world and a very different way of understanding What healing is at a deep level, both physically, emotionally, and spiritually, and also uh, the possibilities that, that lie within us, but we often don't know the pathways to activate those. One of the things that's a very much um, attention for us as human beings is that we are irreducibly of two natures. We are both physical, biological beings, but we also are these spiritual, mental, emotional beings. And the relationship between the two of these and the way in which they interact with this kinetic reciprocity back and forth with each other is something that just endlessly fascinates me. I'm fascinated by the biology of the body. I'm also fascinated by the amazing, these brilliant little immune cells that we should be activating instead of often suppressing like we do with our immune suppressants and our antipyretics for fevers and all these things. And yet I'm also fascinated by the mental and um, uh, imaginal capacities that we have. Uh, Ernest Becker uh, said that we are gods with anuses. And so it's um, that tension (laughs) and that reciprocity is is so true. We are the image of God and we also are biological beings who are – uh, in some ways, um, and not defined by our biology, especially as uh, the biology opens up and we realize that genes are turned on and off by our lifestyle and by our attitudes and our beliefs and how we feel about ourselves and the universe, both consciously and unconsciously at a deep level. All of this uh, creates a mix of a dual nature within us that is endlessly fascinating. So <laughs> the book is talks a lot about that reciprocity between those different parts of our beings and how to activate these forces within us.
0: So let's talk about disease and and illness. From your perspective and in what you are writing about and teaching, what do we need to what do we need to understand if we have a diagnosis of something, what would support people? on their journey for healing?
1: Well, I think one piece of that is, one of the brilliant aspects of Western ways of thinking is that we're very good at breaking things down into the constituent parts. And so, so you can walk into a university and there's all these different departments. You can walk into a hospital and see all these different doctors with different specialties. If a doctor is interested in the heart, they study the heart and become a cardiologist. If they're interested in the brain, they study the brain and they become either a neurologist or a psychiatrist. If you're interested in the gut, you become a gastroenterologist, etc. And that's brilliant up to a point. Uh, If you have a medical problem, send a person to the physician. If you have a psychological problem, you go see the psychotherapist. If you have a spiritual problem, you go see the priest, rabbi, imam, minister, or shaman. But... Unless the person and the specialist not only do the part with their specialty but also take a step back and look at the big picture of the human being, we miss everything. We miss the opportunities for healing. And too many times that second step, step back to look at the forest instead of just the trees, doesn't happen. And as a result, we don't understand or help activate within ourselves the ways in which mind, body, and spirit all go together, and I'm telling you, this, these things can be activated at a completely different level when we begin to understand what it takes to bring these together in a new way. Every person integrates their mind, body, and spirit in their own way, but it's often a less conscious process, and so massive amounts of potential and opportunity for healing or well-being are uh, often remain latent within us.
0: And that's why books like the one you have written is so important because it opens our consciousness. Or maybe it's just a reminder that we, yes. of something we have forgotten, right? That there yes. is uh, a great power that can facilitate healing if we understand what the, the physical process that we're dealing with is trying to communicate
1: to us. Yes, that's absolutely right. That's a good point because because we should be asking what is the message of the illness. That is an opportunity for us to ask because the body keeps the score. The body the body tells the story. And when I, I have come to believe that the body is a metaphor or a reflection of what a deeper self within us is trying to learn. And so and that's a, that's there's a lot to that. And so when an illness appears in the body, it's it's not just a physical illness and and to just simply give ourselves some time to ask, what is this really about? What is the message that this illness is sending me? One of the most common things that people have said to me over the years in the context of telling me their healing stories is that it took an illness for them to wake up and realize that they needed to stop taking care of everyone else. They needed to stop responding to the perceived expectations of others and instead also pay attention to what creates life and well-being within them. You know, what is it that puts a light in your eyes? I can tell you so many stories. I remember this woman. She had been diagnosed with breast cancer, and in the context of her healing, uh, she began to realize she needed a very different kind of life. She was married to a man who I think loved her, but he was pretty rough, Uh, I think, uh, his he, he was not very tuned in to her emotionally I think some of the ways he talked to her uh, were physically or, I'm sorry were verbally abusive and and in the context of always having been this meek mild very sweet lady she began to believe that she needed something different she needed to be more authentic to herself she needed to stop taking care of others emotionally and otherwise and needed to Find a path that allowed her to be more authentic. And so, in the context of her healing, she became more racy. She became more, I'm going to tell you like it really is, sort of thing. And she began to become less of this mild, self effacing woman and became really more assertive. And she told me she's convinced that that was a really important step for her emotionally. And in the context of unrepressing this part of herself, she liberated something deep within her that she is convinced was the most important part of her healing. And so I think it's really, and this is the kind of thing that people over and over tell me. I mean, there's a lot of people that made nutritional changes, they made a lot of changes. Um, they healed their immune systems, they healed their response and relationship with stress, for example. But the thing that people really wake up and get a light in their eyes as they talk to me, the thing they really get excited about talking about is the way they change the relationship with themselves in a way they begin to honor the dignity and value of who they are instead of just responding to the needs of everyone else around them. And that shift, that healing of beliefs, that elimination of false beliefs, the healing of identity of who one is, is something that people get so excited about because they believe it's so foundational to the kind of healing they ended up experiencing.
0: Yeah, that's such a fascinating story. And if I can just share some thoughts as you're sharing that with us, it, you know the um, the the situation that someone like this woman found herself in with this overbearing, controlling partner. Yeah. Was was the catalyst although painful as it was was the, and with hindsight was the catalyst that forced her to step into a new level of her potential and possibilities if it wasn't for yes. that friction she wouldn't have been you know determined to get out of a difficult situation. But in doing so, she really, it 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 enabled her to step into that repressed part of her and become um, more of who she is, you know, allow that energy to flow through her that had been suppressed. So in that context, which I always like to look at, you know, go as as deep as we can, as high up above it all as we can, it, it, it comes back to forgiveness and that she really creating a situation that ultimately was the vehicle for her transformation into a greater yes. expression of who she is. Does that make sense to you?
1: Oh, oh, yeah, that's well said. I think that's exactly right. I think that when a person begins to see themselves through eyes of compassion and realize they have more value than they realized, and that they need to set up a life to honor that value and to honor that dignity and to take their own well-being seriously, that's, that, can, that, can, that can start a very messy process because these, these stories, you know, these kinds of changes in our lives, they affect relationships. It means some relationships end, other relationships have to change. Um, there's all kinds of things that come out of this, but it's such a liberating experience to for a person to realize that, they can take up space in the world. They don't have to just exist to take care of others. They can also honor the light within them in a way that's real and tangible. And that is something that people get very emotional about. Sometimes people, it's so interesting how often a person will change their name in the context of this kind of journey and decide they're no longer who they were. um, And and they need a new name to reflect that. And it's a fascinating process to witness.
0: It's like going into the furnaces and being made into gold. <laughs> and, the, and it's like the spiritual, the soul. You know, it's the journey of the soul, right? It's the, the experiences yes. that we are designing for us so we can re emerge, you know, with that connection yeah. to our soul.
1: That's um, right. Absolutely.
0: Which is, which, which is why we're here.
1: Yep. Absolutely. I, I agree with you. Yep. Completely agree. And. And so just asking, what is the possible message of this illness to me? Gabriel Mate, a friend of mine, uh, wrote a book called uh, When Your Body Says No. And I think he makes such a profound statement when he says, if you don't know how to say no, your body will eventually say no for you. And I think that is such mm-hmm. a true statement for the people I've studied. They realized they needed to start saying no so they could make a different kind of yes to themselves. And... It's so profound to watch how that impacts people's lives.
0: It's so profound, and it always reminds me of the statement that I remember from Bruce Lifton He said that when your body is in stress, when you're operating out of stress or fear, you shut down the cell's ability to grow. The cells either yes. are, are growing or they're or they're dying. You know, and, right, right. And so yep. stress of whatever sort, negative thoughts, depressed emotions, traumas. Are, are giving the message because of those energies that are protective to shut down the cell's ability to function. And the more you come from joy and forgiveness and love, the more you're saying yes to life and the cells can then continue to function optimally. And so, you know, we're seeing how this manifests in our lives uh, as illness if we're not dealing with the business that life is trying to get our attention to deal with
1: that's absolutely true i believe yeah. yeah it's shocking how this works there's yeah go ahead go ahead no you go you go <laughs> no no it's just so interesting because when a person receives a diagnosis for example of terminal cancer it's so interesting how often the person's response is at one level they'll be terrified but at another level there's this relief that you feel sometimes and they'll say wow, if I've only got six months to live, I guess I don't need to go to law school like Dad's pushing me to do. And that release, even though the person's preparing to die and expects to die, that release of themselves from the false expectations that they have taken on from someone else, that liberation begins a pathway that then sometimes begins this death of the false self and the birth of a more authentic self. You know, you were talking about birth, the birth of a more authentic self, and that begins to become its own pathway. And my experience in watching these stories is that and you, you can't predict in any individual case or uh, life what's going to happen, but sometimes that becomes the pathway to such a different life that the illness becomes less necessary and becomes Actually, a doorway into a different kind of life, and and then time sometimes begins to go by, and the person lives a lot longer than one would expect. So, it's it's a fascinating journey to to watch.
0: And everyone has their unique journey. We can be inspired yeah. by others that can you know, activate some memory or some some uh, you know desire or or passion to heal, but everyone has their unique process to go through. No one can do it like, you know, copy anyone else. Just be inspired to see what your path
1: is. Absolutely. Every person's on their own journey to wake up to the dignity and value of who they are, and the details differ um, in terms of what the actual details of the journey are, but underneath, there's a lot of unity in terms of what's really going on in my experience,
0: so can we talk about the role of trauma and the need mm. what that is and on what is required for healing trauma as also one of those pathways to healing from a uh, a diagnosis of some sort?
1: Yes, absolutely for the for the last fourteen years, I was also the chief at a medical hospital, and so so even though during the day I was a medical director at a psychiatric hospital, in the evenings I was in a medical hospital and seeing people admitted for medical reasons. And I began to realize how false the distinction is that we make between mental and physical because it turns out there's a lot of physical in the mental and a lot of mental in the physical. And the people coming into the medical hospital with congestive heart failure, with back pain, with colitis, uh, with heart attacks and congestive heart failure, all these different things, you begin to realize how deep the role of stress and and not knowing how to experience their value or even to know whether it's a friendly universe, how deep these things go in terms of what eventuates in the body. There's some really fascinating research that's been done around this. Back a number of years ago, it's been over 20 years now, that uh, uh, Dr. Felitti out in San Diego was um, the director of the largest preventive medicine clinic um, in the country, if not the world, and he was doing all this research, and he uh, was managing this weight loss clinic, and he couldn't understand why people, why their most successful people would lose a ton of weight, sometimes hundreds of pounds, and then just as they were uh, really making a lot of progress they would disappear from the clinic and regain their weight and trying to understand this mystery he began conducting some research and he was uh, interviewing this young woman uh, and it was the end of the day he was tired and he was asking her these questions and running through the uh, questionnaire sheet uh, in front of him and he asked her how old were you um, let's see how old were you when you first had sex? And um, she said, 40 pounds. And he kind of um, did a double take, and he said, "Um, I'm sorry, how old were you when you had sex? And she said, 40 pounds, and she began to cry. And then he realized that he had actually not asked her that question. He had gotten his questions transposed, and he had actually asked her, how much did you weigh when you started having sex? And she said, 40 pounds. And he then began to ask him more questions and realized that she'd been raped at a really young age. And, uh, and she had been a star uh, patient. She had lost 300 pounds, but then she had left the clinic and regained the weight. And he wanted to know why that was. And as she began to talk, uh, she made the comment that uh, something along the lines that uh, overlooked is uh, good and overlooked is what I need to be, and and he began to realize that, but that every time she lost weight, she started to become more attractive to men and started to feel more vulnerable, and and by regaining the weight, she could then render herself invisible again, and that w- felt a lot safer, a lot safer from the risk of being sexually assaulted again, and as he began to go back and interview other people who had dropped out of the. Um, weight loss clinic, he began to see this pattern over and over and over again. And so he partnered then with a leading epidemiologist, and they began to dive into this uh, in earnest. And they ended up putting together the the Adverse Experiences uh, Scale. Uh, It's called Adverse Childhood Experiences Scale. It's called the ACE Study. And they put together this 10-question thing that you can find online if you look under ACE, ACE, or under Adverse Childhood Experiences Scale, and it's just ten questions. It takes probably less than sixty seconds to take, but it just looks at ten different kinds of trauma and what um, whether you had that kind of trauma, yes or no. And it turns out that that childhood trauma is one of the most important predictors for what kinds of diseases end up in the adult body, and you would think that this study would have transformed medicine because it turned out to be so um, important of a finding, and it's been replicated thousands of times since then. It's been uh, a uh, huge amount of research that's been done around this, but there's still a lot of resistance in medicine to transforming our understanding of why people catch the illnesses they, they do and what it takes to heal these illnesses, because if something's caused by trauma, then there's a lot you can do to reverse that by healing the trauma. And so fortunately, uh, with the help of um, Oprah, I've put out a book with Bruce Perry recently about trauma, and there's right now more of a groundswell of recognition that trauma is a really big deal in terms of what happens psychologically and even physiologically to the human body uh, when it experiences trauma uh, we still have a long ways to go to to really begin incorporating an understanding of what it takes to heal our minds and bodies from trauma when it does occur and and these are traumas that happen a lot they're not just sexual abuse they're all kinds of developmental traumas as well so we're really on the tip of an iceberg in terms of understanding these stories and and how 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 trauma not only changes the kinds of choices that we make, um, but also even affects our genes and what genes get turned on, what genes get turned off, and even affects uh, our children in terms of what genes get turned on and off for them when they're born. So it's a really big topic.
0: I find it a fascinating topic, and I, I've been exploring it and, and uh, for, for myself and in my practice and then working with uh, um, everything from, you know, mind-body techniques to uh, energy medicine, working with frequency medicine, and it's, mm-hmm. that's, I think, how I got into exploring with um, plant medicine, things like ayahuasca where there's so Mm. much research now on psilocybin and ayahuasca, because these ancient medicines have been able to alter what they call, you know, the default mode network. This is the programming Mm. and how we wire our brain to perceive reality. And through these medicines, you can... Alter how your brain is wired, and it changes your perception of reality, which is where healing yes. happens so it's a pretty fascinating world we are emerging into, which in a sense it's like going go, going going back um to where ancient cultures have been for a long time and understanding this connection between trauma and Using medicines and the shaman's world of working with energies, it's it's pretty fascinating, right? It's an amazing, amazing place of possibilities that we have to heal right now.
1: Really is yes, you're so right. And when plant medicines are uh, are pursued in the context of a very uh, carefully considered intention with the right kind of support and integration. Um, afterwards, it can be a really very much more rapid healing experience for people than sometimes has been the case with traditional psychotherapy and uh, psychopharmacology.
0: And it, it brings to mind one other thing. One of my guests who is a medical doctor and my conversation with him on the show was sharing about the uh, number of biochemical reactions that go on in a cell per second, which, you know, uh, in the past somewhere I got a number of like 100,000 biochemical reactions per second, which sounded pretty awesome to me. But he was saying, and I followed up and did some research, so it seems to be true that they now estimate they, whoever they are, the scientists, up to more, actually, more than one billion biochemical reactions going on in the cell in each moment, which is pretty staggering. You know, you can't even comprehend what that may mean, but it's like the um, we have a quantum computer in our cells, right? So everything yep. that we're experiencing in the present, the past, potentials of the future, everything, everything is impacting how that cell is being expressed. It, it, that to me is so mind blowing.
1: Yes, we have all these brilliant little neurons, these brilliant little brain cells, and they interact with each other continuously. And it is billions of interactions and all these little synapses where they're firing of all these neurochemicals and neuropeptides. You're right, it is a quantum computer and it's way beyond anything we understand for sure.
0: So that's why everything that we do, everything that we think, everything that we say, the more we feel the the misperceptions of the past and the wounds, so you know, it's having a direct and instantaneous Effect on how the bonding is manifesting in the physical
1: Yes, absolutely true, you know, jill bookie Taylor is this dear friend of mine and she wrote this book this wonderful book recently called whole brain living and she is a neuroanimist who writes brilliantly about how At any moment we can choose a different part of our brain to live from and it doesn't have to be just the linear fearful left brain thinking uh, that's focused on either the, the depression from the past or anxiety about the future but to really live in the right brain experience of what is perfect and already whole and complete full of such wonder and mystery and dignity and value that each one of us is and to experience that within us without judgment it's such a beautiful understanding of the way their brain is wired. And as a neuroanatomist, she does a beautiful job of talking about the power of that.
0: And I think that the gift of these kinds of concepts and um, information and research is to expand us, to open us up, to bring in this healing energy. So we are supporting our. Physical cells and their ability to heal and repair and regenerate rather than get locked into fear and negativity and restriction.
1: Yes. Yep. Completely agree. It's just easy to believe the bad stuff. It's easy to believe that there's something wrong with us or we're not good enough in some way. And every one of these people that I studied had this experience, whether it happened in uh, a period of 10 minutes or 10 years, where they began to realize that they bring something that's so beautiful. Already whole and complete into the world, and that can be trusted, and that can become the foundation for a new life of really taking your own needs and aspirations seriously, and and even feeling like they need to set up even a selfish bitch project, because initially this kind of life can feel selfish when you're used to thinking that paying attention to your own needs is a selfish act, but it's not, and to begin to see all of this differently. With less criticism and more respect for oneself is such an important insight that I think all of us could benefit from understanding better
0: oh absolutely, and that's why your book has obviously you know struck a chord with people and why you've gotten so much attention and interest from you know Dr. Oz and Oprah, and has become so successful because you're really Of sharing this message that is helping people to expand and awaken to themselves and to the possibilities that exist within us for healing. So I really encourage everyone to pick up a copy of your book, which is, by the way, Cure the Power of Our Immune System and the Mind-Body Connection and again we're talking to Dr. Jeffrey Rettiger. Uh you know, we need inspiration, especially when we're down in the dumps, especially when we're challenged with some issue or some health problem. We need to keep inspired because that's the healing energy that will guide us through the situation. So uh, I am just um, so grateful that you have taken on this, mission and to have gone through the path you've gone through in life to get to this place where you're really (laughs) really fulfilling this profound mission Jeff. this profound mission touching people throughout the world to awaken to themselves
1: well yes certainly is a privilege and i'm so glad to be on this show with you today and you have wonderful questions And it's so true that every one of us needs to focus on what's right and good about each of us and to understand that there's nothing wrong with us that cannot be fixed and healed by what's right and good about us. And to focus on that, take care of the things that get in the way of experiencing what's right and good about us, and wake up to that dignity and value is a journey worth having. (laughs) So...
0: That's you know those are beautiful words to complete our show with and I I want people to know that they can learn more about you and your work through your website which is Dr Jeffrey Rediger and um, Jeffrey with the J E F S R E Y and Rediger redige right. dot com um, yeah so I, I'm sure that um, you've inspired so many people today and. Your work continues and goes out there throughout the universe, Jeff. <laughs> so, Thank well, you so no. much for being with us and for this wonderful conversation that was truly inspirational.
1: Well, thank you for having me, Cheryl. It was really, really an honor to be here.
0: Yes, thank you so much. And uh, to all my listeners, Thank you once again for being part of the Love Code. Please share the link to the show so that we can get our community growing bigger and bigger and inspiring and offering more healing and upliftment. And remember, as I always like to say at the end of every show, may your week be filled with love, peace, and harmony. Bye for now.